Happy New Year, listeners, and welcome to the first episode of the Flight Test Safety Podcast for the new year. And, drumroll please, our 50th episode overall. Now, before we get into this month's focus topic, I want to thank everyone for listening and continuing to support the podcast. You know, when I was first asked to do this, I agreed to try it for a year. Now, while I felt pretty comfortable being able to communicate to an audience, I had no clue how to put together a podcast. But four years later, I think I'm starting to figure it out. And thanks to your feedback, I have learned that there are people out there listening and sharing and discussing the podcast, which was the intent all along. So again, thank you for listening each month. Now, this month's focus topic is one that you will need to have your thinking caps on for and make sure you've had your morning coffee. I have two very brilliant flight testers as my guests to talk about a paper they presented recently entitled Outcome-Based Framework for Online Model Validation and Risk Awareness. Now, maybe that sounds a little complicated, but let's listen to them walk us through it and expand our brains a little bit. Don't worry, there's a link to the paper in the show notes. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this edition of the Flight Test Safety Podcast. Uh, today, we have two guests joining us, Mr. Juan Horado and Mr. Clark McGahee. Uh, I was alerted to them and asked to consider getting them on the podcast by a friend of mine who said that a recent paper they presented at the European SFTE Symposium was groundbreaking. Um, and we'll get to that a little bit later, but, but let's start off with each of you guys, just giving us a little bit of your aviation background, your career to date. So, uh, Silv, let's start with you. Sure. Thanks, Turbo. Appreciate you having us on the podcast. Happy to be here and share a little bit of our background and story uh, with the community. Uh, my name is Juan Gerardo. Like you said, I go by Silv. Uh, I'm a flight test engineer by trade. I've been in the Air Force for about 16 years, and that's how I got into the world of flight test. Uh, fortunately for me, my first assignment was at Edwards Air Force Base at the 416 Flight Test Squadron, Skull Drool, and I did a little bit of electronic warfare testing there uh, before getting to fly. It was just as a, as a you know as a test engineer as opposed to flight test. Uh, from there, I do I did get introduced to a variety of test pilots and flight test engineers, and sort of my dream began there. Like, yeah, I want to go to this school. I want to get into flight test. I really like this merging of engineering and aviation. Uh, I also started working on my private pilot's license and instrument rating, commercial rating, and things like that um, after after seeing that community. From there, I've gone through a variety of assignments. Uh, I went over and got a master's degree at the Air Force Institute of Technology and then, uh, and then uh, went to test pilot school as, a, as an FTE student. Uh, my first assignment after test pilot school was at Herbert Field in Florida at the 413 Flight Squadron doing C-130, AC-130, CB-22, and H-1 testing. That's actually where I met uh, Clark Seafitz. Uh, he was a, a recent um, inbound uh, first lieutenant into the Air Force, and I got to be his flight commander. Uh, and then he'll tell you more of his story, but that's kind of where we connected, and we've been doing research together ever since that assignment. Uh, after Herbert, I went over and uh, decided I... I I haven't had enough school, so I went back and got a PhD in electrical engineering with a pipeline to go back to test pilot school as an instructor. So that's, that's what I did between, uh, you know, the, the PhD in 20, 2019 and 2021. I, went, I finished a PhD, went back to, to Edwards as, a, as a, an instructor at test pilot school. Uh, after that, I was actually able to uh, get picked up for squadron command. I went over and did a, a, a command a flight test squadron. Uh, in a data mast, a classified environment, uh, and then I just finished that out this summer, and now I'm here at the Air Force Academy, uh, and I'm going to be an assistant professor of electrical engineering and a deputy department head of the electrical engineering department here for the next few years. So that's uh, that's my story, and then I'll kick it over to Clark. Fantastic. All right, yeah. Keith, what's your story? 
Sure. And I'll just echo what Silv said. And thanks a lot for having us on. Happy to be here. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. So um, I got to flying and doing flight tests a slightly different way. Uh, I did ROTC at Duke University. And when I was a senior, I got medically disqualified from my pilot slot. And so that prompted sort of a personal crisis of like, hey, what am I going to do with my life right now? Um, so rather than come on active duty immediately, I stayed there and I finished my PhD in mechanical engineering. Uh, I'd record as a developmental engineer in the Air Force. And as Sylv mentioned, uh, my first active duty assignment happened to be in a flight test squadron. Uh, from there, realized, hey, there's a different path to get to fly uh, than just being a pilot. And I got to fly as a crew member doing C-130 flight tests uh, with Sylv and, and others there at 413th. Uh, from there, I went to test pilot school. Uh, out of the test pilot school, went to the F-35 program. Uh, worked on various other programs since then. Uh, both as like chief engineer and director of operations roles. After that, uh, went to the U.S. Army Command and General Staff College at Fort Leavenworth, not for jail. And uh, now I'm at the School of Advanced Air and Space Studies at Maxwell, uh, Alabama, for the Air Force. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, each slightly different pass into this flight test profession. So let's talk about this paper that you presented. And I've seen you guys present at a couple of different things, but this most recent one at the European uh, Society of Flight Test Engineers Symposium. Again, as it was relayed to me, groundbreaking for its potential to manage risk in a non-deterministic system. Okay, that's big words, well beyond what the Marine Corps issues in my dictionary. So, so explain to me a little bit about what your paper was all about. We'll let, I'll let Clark start with sort of the, the big motivation behind our, our kind of the, the research we've been doing over the past few years. And then I'll kind of follow it up with a little bit more on the specifics on, on, on how we applied that theme to the specific paper and complex systems. Okay. Yeah, sure. So in general, um, Silva and I have been looking at productivity and flight test. Um, as most of us in the community are aware, uh, we all understand the intrinsic value of what we do. We understand how it adds value to the process of developing airplanes. Sometimes the people with the money and the schedule might not understand or appreciate that in the same way. Uh, sometimes we may just be that red cell on someone's budget tracker, right? So there is pressure, certainly, in this budget-constrained environment to be more productive, to get greater utility out of the time and resources that we're given uh, in flight tests. And to that end, we've been thinking, again, for about the past 10 years or so, about what activities in flight test are the critical activities that really need, you know, that test pilot and test team time and attention, and what are the activities that are just, you know, everyone's droning around in space, still collecting important data, uh, but maybe we're not using everyone's talents to their fullest extent. And so we've tried to focus a variety of efforts on that second category to say, well, can we spend more time doing the things that are hard to do, the things that people trained at test pilot school for, and incidentally uh, using math or other more advanced analysis techniques than, than what we're taught at test pilot school, uh, pick up that boring droning around test data in the background and thus, you know, enhance the overall productivity of, of test programs. So it's kind of, you know, we're broadly interested in uh, enhancing the productivity of the test teams and marrying uh, the human test team with improved technology. And so to that end, this is one of those efforts and I'll let Sol talk more specifically about this one. Okay. 
Sure, yeah, and um, and so uh, the segue here is that you know uh, Clark speaks of, of uh, programmatic pressures that are on the team at all times, and and one of the things that uh, that is neat about this community, right? We 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 are not test pilots, but we are, I would call ourselves friend, friends of SETP, and so we've gone to a variety of symposiums, we presented a variety of symposiums, but one of the things that jumped out at us in 2018 was. Uh, B, uh, Colonel Wicker, uh, Wicker's paper, which I, I believe was uh, sort of the the, the ten-off winner that that year, uh, on a, a risk management framework based on 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 awareness and sort of uh, in there, there's a there's a a graphic that really spoke to us uh, that really propelled us in this direction from our research, which is this idea that you know uh, if you look at the a, a test team, including the aircraft and and everyone in the team executing a test mission. Or a test campaign um, as a complex system, you're going to have these these um, these pressures, either schedule pressures or budget pressures, pressuring you to go out and execute. And by definition, tests should be something where we're doing we're going sort of doing something that hasn't been done before, whether it's expanding an envelope or testing a new weapon, a new system. And so we're going into this area of the uh, of uncertainty. And, and as Colonel Wicker describes it. Um, uh, the what controls uh, us, what prevents us from going into a mishap state uh, versus staying in the no mishap side of the house is knowledge. Knowledge is sort of the control parameter, very similar to this idea of if you have a block of ice and you hit it with a hammer, it you know the hammer doesn't go through the ice because it's frozen and the control parameter is temperature. Uh, as you let it melt, at some point, if you keep hammering it, the hammer will go through and the ice turns from a, a beautiful kind of solid structure to a very complex kind of mushy and potentially liquid uh, structure. And then the hammer goes through equivalent to, to a mishap. So we wanted to take that framework from Colonel Wickard and sort of say, well, how do we actually operationalize this in, in the context of the problem we were working at the problem, which was a high risk, a complex flight control vehicle that we were trying to get, you know, and expand the envelope out on. And so uh, that was sort of the motivation for the for the paper is how do we apply this idea of knowledge and uh, and, and control parameter uh, to prevent mishaps to a flight sciences flight control stability type of program. And so what we ended up doing there is basically treating or acknowledging the fact that even in, in you know whether it doesn't have to be AI or something that complex, but even a flight by wire complex control law system is a complex system. And the, 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 you know, the lingo here that we've learned over the years, right? You got deterministic systems, which means that, you know, the outcome or the, the, the behavior of the system is going to be very predictable. It's going to be the same, given the same exact input conditions versus a complex system or a complicated system uh, kind of in between is where, you know, you start to see more interactions, more effects of starting conditions, uh, you know, sometimes you might get slightly different uh, relationships between the subsystems of, of the thing you're testing, all the way to complex, where it almost looks as if it's randomly behaving on you. Mm -hmm. And we see this a lot in things like sensor fusion, like where the F-35 is trying to mm -hmm. test, you know, its fusion algorithm, where like, hey, how come it didn't merge these two targets this time, but it did yesterday? And to us humans, it might appear as though it's just random. In reality, what we've seen in literature is that what it really means is that it's so very sensitive to initial conditions that it almost appears as though it is basically random behavior. So, so that's the complex, the complex part. And so to us, this particular vehicle we were testing was indeed sort of one of those systems where it's very sensitive to the conditions. 
And we, we wanted to, again, squeeze more out of the, the flight test time that we are allotted because it is an expensive uh, you know, uh, program to execute. And we started focusing on things like FTCC, flight test continuation criteria, where we're very used to in a deterministic system, being able to look at uh, what we call observables, rates and states. You know, does the alpha that we're seeing right now match the alpha that I expect? Does the G match? Does the roll rate, uh, yaw rate and uh, pitch rate match? Uh, and then we were using those as surrogates for uncertainty. You know, if they match within so many degrees, then we're, or degrees per second, then we feel comfortable moving to the next higher mock test point or the next altitude, the next higher Q. What we noticed in this program is that because it is a complex system uh, and, and the likelihood of us actually ever matching the, the, sim, the sim is typically low, uh, then we realized that if we treated it as a complex system, where now we're focusing on boundaries, meaning on, on, on outcomes, so as opposed to uh, caring about exactly matching uh, roll rate, yaw rate, G, and uh, and things like that, we're trying to figure out, hey, how likely is this aircraft from departing based on the information that we have from ground test and, and ground development? And so if we if we develop what we call in the paper a knowledge envelope, where we are confident that a family of systems, a family of results that we can see in flight is is safe to continue flying. If we can somehow assert that either real time or near real time, then we might be able to then not only be more confident in the the where we are in that certainty in that mishap boundary zone, but also be able to do that more efficiently. So the whole test team is aware of what we're doing, essentially perpetuating that knowledge, that control parameter to the whole test team. And I'll let Clark kind of explain a little bit more on how to apply to the specific flight controls problem that we were facing at the time. Yeah, and so I'd like to just emphasize something that that Juan mentioned, and that is the difference between matching a model, like matching a flight simulator of, of whatever it is you're testing, uh, aircraft, missile, what have you, versus uh, bounding outcomes. So matching a model versus bounding outcomes. And <clears throat> as he alluded to, as you increase in complexity, at some point it it's essentially a, a totally useless task to try to match the model exactly. You're never going to do it. Uh, but what you can do is you can bound the outcomes. And so that's good news because in the development of any of these programs, we do a lot of uh, bounded outcome testing before we would even go fly or shoot anything like that. So the motivation for this would be in any modern development program right now, certainly, you know, you're going to take some shape to a wind tunnel, you're going to do some CFD, and you're going to get the aerodynamic model of a vehicle. And there's the the mid value, the value that you think it is, that's the nominal airplane that you think you're flying. Uh, we all know that that's not the airplane you're actually flying. The airplane you're actually flying is probably close to that, but it's not exactly that. And so in the design process, what we would do is we would use Monte Carlo simulation or something like that to kind of uh, bump that notional uh, nominal model around a little bit and stress test it and make sure that uh, it still admits favorable outcomes. So in other words, uh, I could have a, a lift curve, a CM alpha curve, a CN beta curve, something like that, uh, that we all know and love. Uh, and maybe this slope is a little bit different than I thought it was, or maybe it's biased a little bit different than I thought it was. But uh, in development, I can run millions of those different permutations, both of like biases and slope differences, uh, is typically what you'd see. 
and, and form a box of here are the test cases that I ran in development and here are the ones that worked and maybe outside of that or certain regions in that here are the ones that gave us bad results and so uh, what Silva will then take us into is okay well we know that we're not going to match that arrow model that we built from the wind tunnel and CFD exactly um, so how do we figure out which one of those million dots we are uh, which box we're in and then what we can do with that information Right. So, so basically the last part of that process that we developed is, Hey, we're going to leverage, uh, you know, a, a lot of the community, like Clark just said, has been investing, uh, all of all the primes are investing in this digital twin or digital engineering, you know, and any modern program is going to be rooted in a pretty high fidelity model of the thing that we're building. And by the way, they've already done typically, especially for flight controls, ground robustness testing, where we try to figure out which cases of those Monte Carlos, the flight controls were able to handle and still be stable in the, in the case of stability as an outcome, or which ones were not. And so what we propose is a way to, over on the flight test side, be able to match that level of effectiveness with our own tools to, to, to leverage what they've already done. And so, for example, in this, in this example of modifying a lift curve or a CM alpha curve or a CM beta curve, uh, the developers will have their, you know, their there are millions of trials and within that there's a subset of the trials that had favorable outcomes in this specific example it was departed or not departed and so then our job in flight tests if we want to squeeze the most knowledge out of our flight test sorties especially when they relate to flight test continuation criteria to safety uh, then our job would be to try to figure out very quickly whether it's real time or very near real time hey which one of these monte carlos uh, are we flying right now because we know it's not really the the nominal. It would be very be very surprising if we if we built an aircraft exactly equal to the model. And so what we did is we took those rates and states that we're used to comparing and matching every day, and said, hey, what if we did something that's again already existing, something called parameter ID, uh, where we real time use things like common filters or batch estimators to figure out what CM alpha is for this airplane, figure out what CM beta is, what is the lift coefficient right now for this condition, and then figure out, and not only the, the point we're on, but the sort of the curve that we're on, and then figure out, okay, well, what would it take for me to match the curve that I'm seeing right now in the real airplane to one of the curves that was already tried during the ground robustness testing, one of those Monte Carlo transformations. If we can figure that out, then we might be able to tell you whether you're flying one of those modified aero models that was inside the box, which was good behavior, or outside the box, which was bad behavior. And so there is sort of the key where we're not, we don't just, we don't care, we no longer care about are we matching alpha, beta, G, P, Q, R? We are asking ourselves, is this one of the airplanes that was already seen in simulation? And if so, was it one of the ones with good outcomes or was it one of the ones with bad outcomes? If it's one of the ones with good outcomes, then we can proceed because we have confidence. We have, uh, you know, low uncertainty in the fact that we're probably flying one of the well-behaved complex systems. So that was basically the the crux of that paper, and we uh, we were able to basically show, at least if you look at the paper and the presentation, uh, some really neat sort of real-time examples of how you would take real-time data telemetry, turn it from rates and states to uh, basically, uh, forces and moments, which is sort of the, the integration of those, and then real time compare that 
uh, to one of the you know versions of the model that was tried on the ground, and then be able to tell the team as a, as a whole, hey, I think we're flying one of the good planes, so we can continue. Or no, this plane was actually one of the ones that departed on the on the simulated world. Therefore, we should probably stop right now, take a break, and figure out why why we're so far off from the what we thought we were flying. And that's basically the the gist of the of the paper. The application that we presented is obviously uh, rooted in safety and flight controls, but this notion of bounding outcomes is, is uh, you know, as we'll get probably here into, into later when we talk about sort of the, the nuggets uh, for the community, is probably the future as our systems continue to get more complex. What I probably see us doing as a community is shying away from the, you know, match this against that, the, you know, predict test validate still applies, but now we're not necessarily predicting rates and states, we're predicting outcomes for complex systems. Okay, we're gonna let that sink in for a bit and pick up with the conclusion of the interview in the next episode. And remember, a link to their paper is in the show notes. Now, earlier this month, we sent out the first flight test safety fact newsletter for 2024. And in keeping with the current weather many of us are experiencing in the Northern Hemisphere, Mark Jones, our editor, takes us into the chilly world of cold weather testing. Get your copy today online at our website, www.flighttestsafety.org. I hope everyone's 2024 is off to a safe start. If you're still shopping around for a New Year's resolution, however, try this one. Find one way this year to make someone else safer. Could be on your team, at your organization, or even in your family. No details, no specifics, because figuring those out will likely get you most of the way there. And if successful, at the end of the year, you can take comfort in knowing that by making someone else safer, you actually made the world just a little bit safer. And how cool is that? Until next time, be safe, be smart, and be ready. The Flight Test Safety Podcast is sponsored by Time to Climb Training and Consulting. Motivate your team to succeed, accelerate towards your goals, and elevate to a higher level of performance. On the web at www.time.com the number two, climb.com.